You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we're here on a Wednesday night. What is going on? I'm so sorry, Ben. So Ben's schedule is so very full of all the marching band shenanigans he has with school starting up and i am going out of town tomorrow for a wedding in new orleans so this is the only time we can record and we refuse to take a week off for you fine fine folks out there yep the show must go on the show must go on that's what i that's what they teach me in talking school it's the old adage how are you doing how how are you holding up I'm doing well. School year's off to a bang, and I hit the ground running, and I'm still slowly jogging, like getting ready to crawl down to a walk. I'm, I'm hurting a little bit, but we'll, we'll make it. Have you had any time since we recorded a few days ago to do any more drafts? Uh, obviously. <laughs> Priorities. Okay, good. So I have 41 drafts under my belt now, and 12 trophies. I got over the trophy drought, got three trophies. Wow. 85 and 34 record, and a 71% win rate, starting to get the one twos flowing, and I had my first O2. Ooh, now he knows. Now he knows what it's like. Was it anything spectacular, like just couldn't hit lands, or you got like double-sleeped or something? It was both of those things, I think. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Back-to-back games. Uh, M19 is a great format. Uh, I have got 106 drafts under my belt. Ben, big news. It only took me 104 drafts, but I finally drafted Red White. Ooh, nice. Yeah, it was good. I went to one. Um, It wasn't like the standard Red White go wide kind of strategy with token makers. It was more of like a big red deck. I had two Volcanic Dragons. I had a Sarkon. I had a Dragon's Horde. So I was trying to do some some bigger stuff with our Red White deck, but it was still pretty good. Uh, So 106 drafts deep, 28 trophies, 200 match wins to 107 losses for 65% win rate. Still still riding that 65. Yeah, what were you thinking? You had good cards in your red-white deck. I thought that deck was supposed to be all bad cards. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's probably why I went 2-1. I probably could have trophied <laughs> if I just had a bunch of last pick trash in that pile. All right, folks, this week we've got the Lords of Limited patented What's the Play episode. We're going to dive deep into some board states, check out the nitty gritty of some complex decisions in this format. But before we get into that, we've got to talk about the Lords of Limited Patreon. Ben, I don't know if you know this, but we have a thriving support group for this podcast on our Patreon page and a thriving group in our Discord. That's right. The Discord chat is the place to be to talk about Limited. You get an invite if you want to give back to the show on our Patreon. We shoot you over that that sweet, sweet invite. A little note to folks who are maybe listening to this and going, hey, I want to get in on that Discord. I'm going to go right now. I'm going to sub. I'm going to become a patron of the Lords of Limited podcast, and I want to hop in on that Discord. Just give me a little time. So I get those uh, notices in my email, and I try and respond to those as quickly as possible. Um, but I am only human. I do have a lot going on, so just give me a little bit of time. But we will get those out to you as quickly as we can, get you in that Discord, get you talking to both me and Ben and all the other excited folks in the Discord talking about limited, talking about what's the plays maybe, talking about draft pick orders. We also have some other perks for people who want to become patrons, get access to our show notes, get access to a little pre-show recording to see some behind-the-scenes features of how the show is made. And we also make sure we shout everyone out. We've got a shorter list this week, as we are recording pretty soon after our last episode, but we want to welcome Odin, Tiago, Nick, and Andrew. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your support means so much to us. Yeah, we cannot say thank you enough. I am super psyched for the Pro Tour Cube. That's Klug Alter's Cube, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, I really wish they had announced this 
earlier and i wish also wish that our schedules had not been uh so full during this time because i was just tweeting with him today being like hey could we maybe have you on the cast to talk about the cube but it doesn't look like it's gonna work out but i'm gonna have him on my stream during that week and i'm sure he'll he'd be happy to to guest on yours as well so it'd be cool to get like his insights into designing the thing as we're drafting the thing that's gonna be very cool Ooh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. All right, so I had a pretty tricky draft the other day, Ben, that I'd love to get your thoughts on if you want to take a seat at the round table. Yes, please. All right, so here we go. We're going to sit down, crack ourselves open a pack, and look at some cards in consideration out of this. Pack one, pick one. You see a rabid bite, one and a green for a sorcery. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. Sky scanner, three mana for the one one flying thopter. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card. Ben Wernie's Invitational card, the second, Angel of the Dawn, four and a white for the 3-3 Angel with flying when it enters the battlefield. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain vigilance until end of turn. There's an Electrify, three and a red, deal four damage to target creature at instant speed. Declare Dominance, three green, green for the sorcery. Target creature gets plus three, plus three until end of turn. All creatures able to block it this turn do so. Colossal Majesty, two and a green for the enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep. If you control a creature with power four or greater, draw a card. And a card that goes great in a deck with Colossal Majesty, Majesty, your rare is Sarkon's Unsealing, three and a red for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a creature spell with power four, five, or six, Sarkon's Unsealing deals four damage to any target. And whenever you cast a creature with power seven or greater, it deals four damage to each opponent and each creature and planeswalker they control. I should just say whenever you cast Inferno Hellion. <laughs> yeah, Inferno Hellion or Palaka Worm. Or the twins. What are the twins called? Oh, Gastbark twins. Yeah. Gastbark twins. Yeah. This is a really interesting first pick. I think I'm going to narrow it down fairly quickly. Well, first of all, let me ask you this. What are you on between Declare Dominance and Rabid Bite? Because that is surprisingly close for me when I'm staring at those two cards back to back. Oh, boy. I think pack one, pick one. I think that's got to be Rabid Bite for me now. I think that's where I'm at now, too, which was shocking to me when I was looking at them face to face because I would have thought it would have been Declare Dominance in a landslide. But I think Rabid Bite's just efficient enough that it might get the nod for me here. Also, looking at the art, it looks like they're like two halves of the story. Like in the one picture, the gorilla is facing down the man. But then in the other picture, the man is biting. I guess that's a bear, maybe. That's like a werewolf action going on, right? I don't, whatever. They're all hairy beasts. And Declare Dominance is two gorillas facing each other. That's not a man, That's a gorilla holding a spike? Yeah, it's a gorilla holding a spear. It definitely is. Why does the gorilla need a spear? It's a gorilla. Because it's facing down that monstrous gorilla. Oh, no, no, no. This this is not fair warfare amongst gorillas here. All right. <laughs> Back to what matters. Sorry. Rabbit bite over declare dominance. Then other cards in consideration for me. I think both of those cards are ahead of Colossal Majesty. Pack one, pick one for me. And then I think Electrify is also in the conversation and Sarkin's Unsealing and Angel of the Dawn. Like So I think Rabbit bite, Unsealing, Electrify, Angel of the Dawn. Between Unsealing and Electrify, I think I'm on Unsealing. So narrowing it down to Unsealing Angel of the Dawn and Rabid Bite. I've had very mixed success with Unsealing. Like, it feels like either it works and I win with no contest at all, or I'm struggling to find four-powered creatures, and maybe I don't draw my cards in the right order, and it doesn't do very much at all. So, I mean, I've definitely won super hard because of it and come back from situations I couldn't possibly have won otherwise, but I've also lost because it's not done much. Like, I haven't found a creature, or it's only been an Electrify. I think I would land on Unsealing over Angel of the Dawn and Rabid Bite. I'm loath to pick Angel of the Dawn, pack one, pick one here. I would have, at the start of the format, I would have slammed Angel of the Dawn, but I'm so afraid these days that white is just going to get cut out from underneath me 
that I'm a little loath to go into it. So I think I would land on a begrudging unsealing here over Rapid Bite. But I think it's really close between all three of those. I'm surprised to hear you equivocate so much on this pack. Like, what what grade would you give Sarkhan's unsealing right now? A build around, right? I think a build around B. I think it's a build around A, A minus. It's a bomb if you if you get whatever amount of four power creatures you need for it. Here's my argument against that. It, it's a bomb that comes down on turn four, which is arguably the most crucial turn of the format. That's when the most impactful spells are played are turns four and five, and it does nothing on turn four. And if you don't have a four powered creature to follow it up with immediately, you took a gigantic hit in tempo. And if you only have one four powered creature, all you did was electrify on turn four. For it to really be good, you have to hit two creatures back to back, I think, the turn after you play it. And if you do that, you're probably winning the game. And if you hit three, the game's just over. But I don't think that always comes together that way. Like, And sometimes you draw it like later in the game and you've already played out a couple of four-powered things and you don't have any in your hand. It It's not always the dream scenario. Hmm. I'm not sold. Okay. I assume if you cast it on turn four, you are going to be able to follow it up with a four-powered creature. If you can't, I would imagine you have something better to do in your hand than to take a turn off to cast this, right? Hopefully. And I think sometimes your four-powered creatures cost five mana and you don't always hit your five, your fifth land drop. It doesn't always work out, or at least it hasn't for me. I just think Electrify Suspend 1 is like better than you're giving it credit for, for the fact that that's like generally the floor of this card. If you build around it, and, that, and it's pack one, pick one. Like That's when you can build around it. Right. I, I think it's good. I think I would pick it here, but I do think it's close with Rabbit Bite and Angel of the Dawn for me. I just wanted a lot of validation because it wasn't that close for me. I was just like, I feel like Sarkhan's on ceiling is is generally just like a like a windmill slam. Like I, I don't, I'm not sure where I would take it. Like if Dryad Greenseeker were in the pack or like Murder, I would take both of those cards over it. Yeah, man, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta see it in action and see how I would how I would fare with that choice in the heat of the moment. But anyway, in the heat of the moment here, I grabbed Sarkhan's Unsealing. Uh, so moving on to pack one, pick two, you see the following options. Lich's Caress, three black black for the sorcery. Destroy target creature, you gain three life. Disperse, one and a blue for the instant. Return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Centaur Courser, two and a green for the three three. Sift, three and a blue for the sorcery. Draw three cards, then discard a card. And you get past a rare, Hungering Hydra, X and a green for a zero zero. It enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it. It can't be blocked by more than one creature. And whenever it is dealt damage, put that many plus one plus one counters on it. Have you ever seen that last bit of text be relevant? I have, against me, and that was the first time I learned that it didn't double its power and toughness. I thought it got double the amount of counters placed on it. <laughs> it's just um, the amount of damage it was dealt, Yes, right? yeah, it's just the amount of damage it was dealt, and that was what I learned. So between Caress, Sift, and Hungering Hydra, awkward that Hungering Hydra is a non-bow with a Sarkhan's Unsealing, and red-green is the best color pair for Sarkhan's Unsealing, but I think black is the second best color pair to go with Sarkhan's Unsealing, and I think I would take Lich's Caress here just as the best card in the pack. Yeah, I landed on Lich's Caress as well. So I was doing this draft on stream and a lot of people were saying, oh, easy Hydra, let's like just take Hydra. And I think the fact that Hungering Hydra doesn't trigger unsealing is a real cost considering if you're drafting a red green deck you're gonna have a lot of expensive plays. So putting a card like Hungering Hydra, which you want to cast for like at least as a 3-3, but ideally it's like your curve topper. If you want to cast it as a high drop and it doesn't trigger your bomb, that's a real cost because like you're going to want to be filling your deck out with a bunch of four drops, five drops, and six drops. So I think Hungering Hydra is basically just like a glorified bristling boar, which I think is a good card, but is 
not the bomb that maybe folks think it is. So yeah, I grabbed the removal spell here in Lich's Caress. Pack one, pick three. Here are the cards for you. There's a few things to trigger that unsealing. There's a Thornhide Wolves, four and a green for the four five. Rock's Oracle, four and a green for the four two. When it ETBs, you draw a card. Volcanic Dragon, four red red for the four four flyer with haste. And Graveyard Marshal, black black for the three two zombie soldier. And you can pay two and a black to exile a creature card from your graveyard to create a tapped two two black zombie creature token. Yeah, so I'm going to narrow this down quickly to either Volcanic Dragon or Graveyard Marshal, and I think the power level is very close with these two cards, but Graveyard Marshal is like a premium two-drop in a format where two-drops are scarce. However, Volcanic Dragon is probably like one of the best things you can do with Sarkhan's unsealing. I think I might land on Volcanic Dragon over Graveyard Marshal here, and that might be a mistake just because Graveyard Marshal is such a good two, but I love Volcanic Dragon. Interesting. Yeah, my argument for taking Marshall was one, the thing you said about two drops and how there aren't very many good ones. But also, I tend to try and lean towards like the things I'm getting past versus the things that I opened. And like there's other, I mean, Volcanic Dragon Third is potentially a signal, but I don't want to get married to my first pick here and I want to stay sort of flexible. And I feel like getting past a caress into a Marshall means like someone wasn't interested in first picking Marshall, which I find surprising, let alone second picking. So I, I took that as a bit more of a signal, but that could have been wrong. No, I think Marshall's probably the correct pick there. Um, so I grabbed the Marshall here and moved on to pack one, pick four, where I saw the following cards. Salvager of Secrets, three blue blue for the 2-2. Two, two. When it enters the battlefield, you return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. Another Rocks Oracle, another Disperse, an Aviation Pioneer. Two and a blue for the 1-2. When it enters the battlefield, you make a 1-1 Thopter with flying. And Draconic Disciple, one red green for the 2-2. Taps to add one mana of any color. And you can pay seven and tap it, sacrifice it to create a 5-5 red dragon creature token with flying. Yeah, this is an interesting pick. So I think if you had gone unsealing into Caress into Volcanic Dragon, I think you're pretty free to take Draconic Disciple here and maybe take a look at red green but if you didn't do that it's pretty hard to take draconic disciple after going lich's crest into graveyard marshal like you're pretty well playing black at that point yeah so i think you're sort of boxed out of draconic disciple depending on how you've navigated the first three picks and so if that's the case you're not taking a red card you're not taking goblin instigator Mm -hmm. and i think you're just trying to take the best card in the pack then to go with your black cards which i think is probably aviation pioneer over salvager of secrets right not saying that salvager isn't good with lich's caress or isn't good in a blue black deck but just we've been talking about this a lot we talked about this a lot last week five drop slot gets clogged in a hurry especially in blue black it can because lich's caress is such a a premium pickup for that deck so yeah i i also settled on the aviation pioneer that's pretty interesting what you said about like if you had taken volcanic dragon i think you take disciple but having not taken dragon you're so far away from being able to take draconic disciple yeah so yeah so i grabbed the pioneer here moving on to pack one pick five with what i had in my pile there wasn't much to talk about there's not a ton of black cards there's a rise from the grave which is not a card i think you and i are pretty excited about that's four and a black for the sorcery to put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control uh and i grabbed a salvager of secrets out of this pack which uh is that that three blue blue recur a spell two two that pack is poopy pack is poopy i did want to take a look at the next pack though just because i thought it was interesting um and that'll be the last pack we take a look at so the cards in consideration there's a frilled sea serpent that's four blue blue for the four six uh it has an activated ability of five blue blue 
to make it not be able to be blocked this turn. There's my boy Druid of the Cowl, one and a green for the 1-3 that taps to add a green mana. And there's Fountain of Renewal, single mana for the artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, you gain one life and you can pay three, sacrifice it to draw a card. And there's a Diagraph Ghoul as well. That's the single black 2-2 that enters the battlefield tapped. Yeah, I think Druid of the Cowl is far and away the best card in this pack. And it's super late. And I think I would take a flyer on Druid of the Cowl here. So... If you navigated this draft the way that I did, which was red card, black card, black card, blue card, blue card, does that terrify you at all to take Druid of the Cowl here? Also remember, in pack one, you passed Colossal Majesty, Declare Dominance, and Rabid Bite. Does that also factor in? And then you passed a Hungering Hydra. No, that doesn't really scare me because I think if green's open, you get like you care about whether green's open from the right or not. So maybe you don't get any in pack two, but if you get the hookup in pack three, it'll be worth it, right? But then you're only getting green cards in one pack. Like, this pack is almost over. Yeah, I guess my counter argument would say, like, you're not going to miss a Fountain of Renewal in blue-black. I think you might. Really? I There's things that care about life gain in black, and there's things that care about artifacts in blue. Maybe. Yeah. Like, I, I'm just telling, like, I, I can't change how I feel, man. <laughs> I would just, I would take Drew to the Cal here. <laughs> I'm not asking you to change how you feel. I'm just trying to put you up against it. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was a super interesting pick because I do love Drew to the Cal. I just felt that the green ship had sailed. I felt like this was too late to jump in, especially with how much I had dipped my toe into three other colors at this, this point. I think you certainly could have grabbed the Druid here and been thrilled if you had gone, like, Volcanic Dragon into Draconic Disciple into Miss into Drew of the Cal. But I grabbed the Fountain of Renewal here, and out of the first pack when it came back around, all three of those green cards were missing, which did make me feel a little better about the decision. I just didn't want to be fighting with so many people at the table for green, given how many powerful green cards I knew I had already passed along. No, that makes sense. And me wanting to take Druidical there should be a win for you, right? You've talked me up on that card so much. Oh, I feel like I'm just winning all over the place here. You know, if we, <laughs> if we check in on the point system, I'm sure I'm ahead. all right so that draft ended up with a pretty sweet blue black deck got the hookup in pack two got like grave diggers and a mirror image and more lich's caress so it was a pretty good looking blue black spells deck that unfortunately ended up going one two wah wah Wah, wah. but i did feel like i navigated the draft pretty well yeah i've had a couple of those lately where i just felt great about my draft and my deck and i've won two yeah i mean that's part of the game that's the part of magic that we like i mean when people talk to me about don't you wish that like variance was less or if we could have scry in every set and i think that's probably not what i want i just want to lose less that's all i want yes but i mean like it feels it feels good overcoming that variance too like mm-hmm. having to fight like when you get bad variance and you miss a couple land drops and then you fight back and you win anyway like that's a very satisfying win yeah those are the the most satisfying wins i love like one is not zero that's my my mantra during magic games all right, so we're going to dive into these What's the Plays. Ben, you've got a couple sweet ones here for us. What do you What do you got? Before we dive into my first What's the Play, I uh, just wanted to let everybody know that uh, in where we post the episodes, like where you find your episode to download it on iTunes or Android or whatever, we will have imager links in not the show notes. I don't really know what to call that because our show notes are a Google Doc. They'll be in there also, but they will also be where everyone downloads the podcast. Uh, and there'll be imager links if you want to follow along at home, and we will try to do our very best to describe the scenarios for you in vivid detail over the <laughs> podcast. And we will not be saying what all the cards do, because I think it gets muddled up enough just with us trying to paint the picture without stopping to read the text of each card. So uh, if you really if you don't know what the cards do, make sure you check out those imager links to follow along at home. All right, for the first one here, you're on a white-black deck. Not a very standard white-black deck. It's not a white-black life gain deck. Your deck has 
hits such as triple cavalry drill master i was feeling pretty terrible about that uh triple star crown stag i was feeling great about that how did that happen triple abnormal endurance <laughs> was feeling pretty good about that too uh and double regal blood lord that's the white black gold uncommon the weird thing about this is you have double blood lord but only four ways to gain life in your deck you have a daybreak chaplain you have revitalize you have sky march bloodletter and you have invoke the divine and you have lich's crest so you have five ways but invoke the divine and daybreak chaplain like are a little sketchier than the others so not tons of ways to trigger your two regal blood lords so here is the scenario it is turn three your opponent's at 20 you're at 20 your opponent was on the play they mulligan to six they've hit three land drops they have a swamp two forests and a doom to center in play that they played on turn two your turn two you had no two drop you played out swamp planes and have no plays you haven't taken your turn three yet because you're on the draw and your opponent casts turn three mind rot on you and your hand is the following. You have two lands in hand, so two lands in play, planes in a swamp, two lands in hand, another planes in another swamp. So four lands in total, two of them on the battlefield, a cavalry drill master, a Pegasus Courser, a Revitalize, so one of your five ways to gain life in hand, and two Regal Bloodlords. What do you discard to Mine Rot? I really struggled with this one, and I'm sure I came to the wrong answer. So we were looking at this before the show, just going over what we wanted to highlight from each of these scenarios. And I made the point that I'm going to make now, which is I think I would cast Revitalize in response to Mind Rot first off to give myself the information. Because I think even though we don't have a lot of ways to gain life, that Revitalize is going to be one of the cards that I would want to discard here. But the fact that I can cast it instead... I think I should cast it, see what I draw, and then reevaluate. Because if I'm thinking about like the scenario where we hit land drops, if I look multiple turns ahead, I'm going to play probably Pegasus Courser next turn, which is nice. That holds back the, the doomed dissenter that your opponent has on the battlefield. And then if I'm lucky enough to get to land number five on turn five, I'm going to play a Regal Bloodlord. And I'm probably, even before I cast a life gain thing, going to want to play the other Regal Bloodlord. So then that's turn seven at the earliest that I'm casting Revitalize just to get these bats. And that's if all these things go according to plan, which they probably don't. Because like if you're drawing lands, then are you really impacting the board enough? Your opponent's black-green, are your two fours for five going to line up against the potential four fours and four fives that your opponent can play in their colors? Probably not. So I think I would try and let go of some of this synergy that I've got built up here, play Revitalize here, see what I draw, certainly discard Cavalry Drill Master. I don't think you can afford to discard either of your lands with the two Bloodlords in hand. So I'd probably pitch Revitalize and Drill Master here, but I think I would fire off Revitalize first, pitch Drill Master, and then evaluate on what my next card was. Yeah, I think that's certainly the solution is to cast Revitalize. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that that did not even cross my mind in this scenario, mostly because I was so tunnel visioned on like, well, I've only got five ways to gain life. I really want to get leverage off these two Bloodlords. Like paying two to gain three and make two one one bats sounds super sweet. I really don't want to get rid of this Revitalize. I think that's why it didn't occur to me to cycle it. So I was trying to decide between, I knew I was discarding Drillmaster, and then I was trying to decide between land one of the Bloodlords and Revitalize, and I didn't want to discard one of the Bloodlords because they're some of the best cards in my deck if I find a way to gain life. And if not, like a 5-mana 2-4 flyer is still like a fairly good card. Revitalize I didn't want to discard because, it, like I said, I didn't have many ways to gain life. And land I didn't want to discard because I had to hit land drops number... If I discarded a land, I had to find two lands to hit land drops 4 and 5 before I could start casting my Bloodlords. I ended up making, I think, the incorrect choice of discarding Drillmaster and land 
thinking that, you know, if I miss land drops, I could always fire off Revitalize to try to dig deeper towards lands, but then there's no guarantee that Revitalize is going to hit a land, which is what ended up happening to me. So I, I pitched Drillmaster Planes incorrectly, and then I bricked on lands, and I cast Revitalize, and I bricked on lands again, and I think I ended up losing the game here because I was greedy to get value off of both of my Bloodlords. Yeah, I think that's going to be a theme of a lot of these What's the Plays, is being tunnel-visioned on what a card does in your deck, or valuing a card in a certain situation, and having to try and move away from that because... The stakes of the game dictate something else, and I think that's sort of what happened here. I agree. And we're going to move on. We got a few of mine in a row, and then you're going to wrap us up with two of them. So moving on to my second What's the Play. This has multiple imager links here. So first one is a deck pick, second one is the main scenario, and then the third one just kind of wraps up the story. So then I gotta say, this deck I'm looking at, I am green with envy about it. Ooh, Uh? (laughs) so good. Uh? Your band director jokes are on point. <laughs> our our show is called The Garden, and I one of my students was interviewing me about writing an article for it, and I told her to write it with flowery prose. Oh God, did she even get it? That's that's like too smart for me. No, she totally got it. She's a smart cookie. Oh, nice. She groaned. They're used <laughs> to my humor or lack thereof. <laughs> so you've got a mono green deck here. Hits uh, Gigantosaurus, Double Vine Mare, uh, Colossal Majesty five centaur coursers a couple talons of wildwood you know the combat tricks a couple oaken forms just the good stuff yeah so your opponent has curved out mightily so it's your turn three opponent was on the play they've played planes planes swamp and their curve out is the following on turn one they played land and vanguard the one one that gains a life and gets plus one plus one whenever you control three or more creatures at the beginning of your combat step they have a johnny's pride mate on two And they stick the Wombo combo on turn three with Ravenous Harpy to be able to trigger their Vanguard and attack with a Johnny's Pride Mate. Your turn two play was a Highland game. It's now your turn three. You're at 16 life. Opponent is at 21 life. You have a Highland game on the battlefield. Three forests in play. A fourth forest in your hand. And the following other cards in your hand. Talons of Wildwood. Oaken Form. Reclamation Sage. Druid of Horns. And Gigantosaurus. Your opponent only has three cards left in hand because of how sickly they've curved out, and you're trying to decide what to play this turn, and whether or not you want to attack. So you're trying to decide between Reclamation Sage, Oaken Form, and Talons of Wildwood, and I think the best of those options is Oaken Form, but I was really torn between suiting up Oaken Form in my Highland game and trying to race somehow, or playing Oaken Form on the defense. What do you think? This board state, I think, also highlights a lot of themes of the What's the Plays this episode, which is... That mindset of just going like, well, maybe if I could, oh, if I, if only I could just, if I had one more turn, I could, like, I'm just looking at this hand going, man, you've got so much sweet stuff. You've got Druid of the Horns. You've got two auras in play. You've got Gigantosaurus. If only you weren't facing this savage curve out, you could do what your deck was trying to do. But I think you have to adapt here. So you've got really only two options this turn with two three mana plays in your hand. You've got Oaken Form to suit up the Highland game and turn it into a 5-4. Or you could play Reclamation Sage, the saddest 3-mana 2-1 in the history of M19, because it doesn't blow up anything on this board. So I think playing Rex Sage doesn't do much, though it does offer the double block against the Pride Mate the following turn. Right, because Pride Mate's going to be a 4-4 the following turn. Correct. So it could hold that off, and then you could play Druid, and then hope that you hit your fifth land so that you could go Aura Aura on the druid to get two three threes and maybe that would make you pretty stable um that's a kind of fragile ish play against 
a black-white deck, but so is dropping an Oaken form on Highland game. I don't know. I'm actually looking at this now. What I thought before was that it was a clear Oaken form on the Highland game and then hold back, but now I'm wondering if just playing Reclamation Sage is the play. The only thing that I don't like about that, or the only thing I like about holding Reclamation Sage, I should say, is that the most clean answer that they can have to your Oaken form on Highland game is Illuminous Bonds, and then the following turn you can blow that up and free your 5-4. Boom. That is exactly what I told DC Sports on stream. He was like, I kind of like Reclamation Sage here and try to double block. And I was like, nah, I don't really think we can do that because the way we win this game is Gigantosaurus with the Talons of the Wildwood on it. And the best way our opponent can answer that is Luminous Bonds. So that if we don't make that play, then they pretty much have to have Murder or Lich's Caress. I was thinking about the removal spell in response to your Oaken form on Highland game. I'm not even to turn five with Gigantosaurus yet, but you're thinking that far ahead, yeah? Well, so I think if we run out Reclamation Sage here and we think about like double blocking, like if we run out a naked Reclamation Sage, like we're still on the wavelength of trying to win the game with Gigantosaurus. So I think you have to hold Reclamation Sage for a potential Luminous Bonds on your Gigantosaurus, because the only way to win this game is if Gigantosaurus goes unchecked with the Talons of Wildwood on it. Yeah, I guess that's true. But the thing is, is that you play Rexage. If you're your opponent, you just don't attack this turn, and you wait for a Johnny's Pride Mate to outclass both of those cards, yes. But you do have a fairly good attack with Land and Vanguard if you wanted to trade it off. But I guess you probably don't because it's pumping your Johnny's Pride Mate every turn. Yeah, this is tough. I mean, both options are not great. Like playing a lone three mana two one or playing an aura on a creature and then not attacking. Right. Well, and the other thing is I sat on stream for like a minute and a half trying to add up math in my hand. Like if I could race with Oakenform, like can I put Oakenform on this Highland game and attack? Oh, yeah. Like, does that math work out over multiple turns with me chump blocking and things like that? And I just... I couldn't get out of that mindset. It took me like literally a minute and a half to realize, okay, I have to play Oaken form on the defense here. I think that's the play too. We we're not even considering that which we should is like the option of trying to race, but the fact that you're playing against black white and they've already got a repeatable source of life gain in play, let alone the fact that they've got a creature that's growing every turn. That just seems like it's not going to work out well for you. Right. So ultimately like the play here is to realize I'm not the beat down mm-hmm. and what, what's the best way to buy myself as much time as possible to hit my fifth land drop and get Gigantosaurus down. I think that's, and I think that is Oaken form on your Highland game here defensively. And the reason being because Reclamation Sage is so useful to free up a creature. And if we're thinking about freeing up Gigantosaurus, it leaves it open to not only blowing up Luminous Bonds, but also Hiromancer's Cage. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And then if we fast forward, there's a third screenshot that just sort of tells the story of how the game played out. My opponent didn't attack into Highland game. I was able to play Drew the Horns, drew my fifth land, and they foolishly attacked their Ajani's Pride Mate into my two creatures here to get a three for one equipped with the Marauder's Axe. I double blocked, played Gigantosaurus, and it went unchecked with the Talons of Wildwood on it to win the game, just like we drew it up. Pretty nice that your opponent also played a Johnny's Welcome and Mulliganed for you. Yes, that was also nice. Oh, but that's pretty sweet that that, that worked out that, that well. I'm not I'm not sure a lot of people would have come to that conclusion. I think Oakenform just sort of makes you go, ah, I gotta race, I'm, I'm suiting up my creature, I gotta take this advantage where I can get it, but just not the right play there. Yeah, it was it was difficult for me to figure that out. So moving on to what's the play number three. This is another one of mine. Your opponent is on the play and mulliganed to five, but they are off to a super quick start and you are missing some land drops. 
After you said mulligan to five, I thought it was going to be like, what do you type in chat? How do you console your opponent? <laughs> no, I have a strong history of losing when my opponent's <laughs> mulligan to five. I used to be excited when my opponent's mulligan to five, and Magic Online has conditioned me to just have an ex- a feeling of dread when my opponent's mulligan to five. Do you keep track of that in your spreadsheet? You like be like, this is when I lost when they mulled to five. <laughs> I'm not that full on why me mentality yet, but it does it. It has started to feel bad, and I don't. I no longer get excited when my opponent's mulligan to five. <laughs> so they're on the play their turn four they've sort of curved out turn three they played a militia bugler and that revealed a gallant cavalry and on your turn three you flashed in a hired blade and blocked and traded with it so both life totals are still at 20 they've had three planes on the battlefield a forest and they played their gallant cavalry that they revealed off the militia bugler so they've got the gallant cavalry and the 2-2 knight token that comes along with it it's your turn four, and you whiff on your fourth land drop, which feels bad. Ugh. So you've got the following lands in play. Cinder Barons, Mountain, Swamp. So access to double red and double black. And your hand is the following cards. Reassembling Skeleton, Hired Blade, Death Baron, Volley Veteran, Ravenous Harpy, Sarkin's Unsealing, and Lich's Caress. And so you're trying to decide here... Like, how do I just not die? Because I think your opponent mulligan to five, if you can avoid just getting run over, that's the way you lose the game, right? Unfortunately, none of your creatures block these two two Vigis very well. Reassembling Skeleton Chumps, Hired Blade trades with one of them, Death Baron trades with one of them, and Ravenous Harpy doesn't block either of them this turn. So what's the play here? My kingdom for a Talarian Scholar. Yeah, seriously. So we were talking about this before the show as well, and... I think I would have navigated this a little differently. So the fact that they mulligan to five, I think, is a really relevant piece of information here because it lets me feel a little better about perhaps trading off with half of Gallant Cavalry here. And I'm just trying to survive enough, have a high enough life total that I can play Sarkons on ceiling, pass, and then untap and play Volley Veteran to electrify a creature and then have my 4-2 in play to trade with something else. So I think my play here would be to probably flash in hired blade like i'm very excited about the potential of death baron and reassembling skeleton but it doesn't look like that's probably going to happen this game so i might just play death baron instead because hired blade can flash in later like let's say they play a star crown stag the following turn then i'm going to really want to have hired blade access to trade off with that instead if i miss my fourth land drop again but i think that's where i'd land i think i'd land on playing one of the three drops here to trade with half of gallant cavalry yeah and i think if you're going to play one of the three drops i think i like what you said about playing death baron to leave hired blade back for a potential star crown stag because uh, we did see star crown stag out of our opponent in game one Oh, okay. Uh, this is this is game two. So my play was a little different. I was trying to think what was worst case scenario, and my worst case scenario was that we brick on land again the following turn. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to put myself in the best possible position if we bricked on land the following turn. And so my thought was, if I play Ravenous Harpy now, I can build my own Talarian Scholar next turn by playing Reassembling Skeleton and maybe having a block with the, a chump block with the Reassembling Skeleton plus sacrifice to the Ravenous Harpy if they play some big threat on five mana next turn so i played ravenous harpy here and was planning to the following turn play reassembling skeleton and chump with skeleton and sack it to the harpy and then harpy theoretically holds back both of my opponents two twos so i take a hit for four one turn with the hopes of blanking them both in future turns if my opponent doesn't have a combat trick to push through damage so when you explained this exact thought process to me before the show i didn't buy it but now i (laughs) i now really think that this is super smart and correct and i definitely would not have done it so my thought process was not only am i okay to 
trade off a little bit more with them because they mulligan to five so i don't feel as bad about trading with half a card but also i'm like just like trying i'm like i'm gonna draw a land right i like i'll just trade off now and if i miss a land again i can trade off again and then eventually i'll draw a land but what your play allows you to do is you play ravenous harpy if you hit your land then you play on ceiling and then you know worst case they play something their turn and you're going to be down to something like somewhere between 12 and 8 life probably right by the time you get to go volley veteran trigger sarkhan on ceiling right yes but your plan allows you to match up really well against the gallant cavalries if you miss so that your harpy turns into that flying talarian scholar that i'm wishing to have and holds off the two gallant cavalries. So you're only one turn away from being able to stabilize against what they currently have, which is way smarter than my plan. So I, I really like the harpy play here. That's funny that you flip-flopped on it so much from the pre-show to now. I think the other thing that it offers is that if they, like, turn five, play a Thornhide Wolves or a Rocks Oracle or something, you get a free chump on that with the reassembling skeleton when you sack it to the Ravenous Harpy. Exactly, yeah. So I think that really does buffer your life total the best. Mm-hmm. So that was the play I made there. And then we've still got more decisions. So moving on to the next screenshot, you've progressed forward through the game a little bit. Uh, it's now your turn six. So the opponent has already taken their turn six. And their turn five play was a giant spider. And their turn six play was a Thornhide Wolves. So our plan of Ravenous Harpy into Reassembling Skeleton worked. The opponent chose not to attack into that. So their turn five, they made no attacks. So it's now your turn six. You're at 16 life. Opponent is still at 20 life. We're nowhere near the thought process of killing our opponent. We're just <laughs> trying to figure out how to not die. So the opponent's board is five lands, four planes, and a forest. They've missed a land drop. And so two cards in hand, presumably both action, which is not good news for you. And their board is the following cards. Gallant Cavalry, the knight token that comes with it. Giant Spider, 2-4 Reach, and Thornhide Wolves, the 4-5. It's now your turn 6, and you still have Bricked on land number 4. Classic. Classic Ben Warney, why me? <laughs> your board is still Ravenous Harpy, Reassembling Skeleton, and you have the following cards in hand. Lich's Caress, Sarkin's Unsealing, Volley Veteran, Death Baron. You've drawn a Hired Blade, an Epicure of Blood, and a Ravenous Harpy as the new cards in your hand what is the play man i don't know so the death baron has synergy with the reassembling skeleton right it'll give a death touch but then that doesn't give you the opportunity to do the cute like block and sack to grow the harpy but nothing in your hand allows you to do that because you only have three mana and the cheapest stuff in your hand costs three mana. So your options are to do the block and sack play, which seems bad considering you can affect the board with an additional card. And of the three three drops, I think you want to play Death Baron to allow your reassembling skeleton to trade with their biggest threat, the Thornhide Wolves. Right. And then the next question I have for you, I think that's the best play also. Are you blocking, if your opponent swings out, are you blocking Death Baron on one of the two twos or the like you're, you're not chumping the giant spider so are you trading death baron off with one of the two two vigilances i think i would not but maybe i should i guess it, it depends what they do but i guess whatever they do would be post combat i don't know maybe i should just take the trade now as i was saying before i should maybe I, maybe i should just take the trade yeah, that's what I that was the mentality I was in. I was thinking, well, I've got all this cute shenanigans, like I could rebuy my reassembling skeleton in future turns. And then I, I just kept like trying to figure out these ways to get value because that's the way that your brain is so oriented in magic, or at least that's the way my brain is so oriented. <laughs> like I but always want to get two for ones and the most value out of my cards. But then I finally realized like I don't need value. I've got a grip full of cards in my hand. 
all I need to do is keep my life total as high as possible to try to let me play out all these sweet cards I've got in my hand. And I think the best way to do that is to trade off Death Baron here when you go to Death Touch Reassembling Skeleton on the Thornhead Wolves. So you trade Re Death Baron with a 2-2 Knight, and then you take a hit for four from the Gallant Cavalry and the Giant Spider. Exactly. I was just going to say, like, the value in the game is your grip full of cards. Yeah. Uh-huh. Moving on, we've got more screenshots. Your opponent on their turn seven slams and a Johnny which makes your decision, I think, even easier. So then you're trading Reassembling Skeleton off with Thornhide Wolves, and you've got a double block with Death Baron and a Ravenous Harpy on one of the Gallant uh, Cavalry or the Knight Token that are now 3-3 Vigilance, thanks to Ajani's pluses, and trade off. And then fortunately, you do that, you end up hitting your fourth land, and you get to slam Sarkon's Unsealing, and then the following turn, Volley Veteran, you hit your fifth land, play Epicure of Blood, trigger some Sarkon's Unsealing, Happy story, you kill a Johnny, vanquish, triumphant, you barely come back from missing land drop number four several turns in a row. Look how good Sarkhan's Unsealing is, almost good enough to first pick out of a draft. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. We've got so much to do in so little time. I'm going to check out my what's the play here. You've got a near mono blue deck here with a few white cards and some heavy artifact matters synergies. With eight artifacts in the deck, you've got a skilled animator, an aerial engineer, and not one, not two, but three copies of Scholar of Stars, Ben. How do you feel about that? I feel gross about that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would. Well, take a seat here. So you're facing a white-green value deck. It is turn seven. Both you and your opponent have missed land drops, though with the help of your Scholar of Stars, you're not too far behind. You've been able to cantrip off of a Sky Scanner and then a couple of Scholar of Stars, so you're only really just one land behind. Uh, turn 7, like I said, your opponent has two powerful card advantage engines in play, a Mentor of the Meek and a Dryad Green Seeker. In addition to that, they have a Daggerback Basilisk, a Druid of the Cowl, and four lands, and they're at 20 life. It is your turn 7. You have hit your land drop for the turn. Here's what you've got going on. you got a grip full of stuff to do, six lands in play, a Sky scanner and a fountain of renewal and your hand is the following a cancel a salvager of secrets there is nothing in your graveyard a take vengeance a supreme phantom an essence scatter a hieromancer's cage and a scholar of stars what's the play my initial take on seeing this for the very first time was whoa my opponent has dried out the green seeker and mentor of the meek on the battlefield those are two huge value engines and they've got five cards in hand i have to deal with dryad green seeker and mentor of the meek so my first inclination upon seeing this board state was to fire off take vengeance and hiremancer's cage this turn to deal with the green seeker and the mentor of the meek and then try to stabilize from there but you're actually under like a fair bit of pressure and your opponent's also getting ready to go to their turn where presumably they've got five mana maybe six mana that they could play a fairly large threat that's certainly a possibility or they could be playing smaller things and activating mentor of the meek their, your opponent's going to have so many options on their next turn which is what makes this this turn a little daunting for you so best combinations of your mana like if you're trying to spend all six mana which i think you probably should be here you want a four and a two is probably your best bet so then you have to decide like do you want to try to hold up essence scatter do you want to take vengeance and play Star scholar of stars do you want to play both removal spells there's so many variations there's also the possibility of two drop two drop two drop you can take vengeance supreme phantom and hold up essence scatter jeez so <laughs> many combinations yeah this is very complex i think if i'm not firing off both removal spells which i think might be a little greedy here i think you need to deal with one of the two card advantage engines immediately i don't think you can let both go unchecked and i think mentor of the meek is priority number one because it's a 
better attacker and it's like guaranteed to draw a card whereas maybe they could whiff with dryad green seeker if you let it live for a turn so i think i would be tempted to take vengeance the mentor of the meek save my premium removal spell in Hiromancer's cage i'm almost tempted by the supreme phantom hold up essence scatter line i really like the idea of holding up essence scatter to counter my opponent's next play yeah that's the thing that i think is also important is that they've missed land drops they have five cards in hand and so almost certainly all five of those are action spells and in white green they could definitely you know they have access to five mana because they have druid of the cowl they could easily land a thornhide wolves or a colossal dreadmaw next turn and I don't have a ton of ways to deal with that. Like, two of those ways are in my hand. Essence Scatter and Cancel are ways to deal with things that they play, but I have to have mana up for that. But it feels bad to burn my mana. But it also feels like I need to deal with these card advantage engines as well. It's a, it's a lot to, to juggle here. So do you really think, like, that leaving holding up Essence Scatter this turn is a big cost to you? I feel like it's almost certain your opponent's going to play a creature next turn. I mean, I guess they could play an enchantment or something, and then you feel pretty bad, I guess? I don't think it's terrible to hold up Essence Scatter here, no. I, I, I guess I didn't really think about the Take Vengeance Supreme Phantom Essence Scatter line. The other thing that I'm thinking about is that I want to make sure that I'm hitting land drops. Like, it's very exciting to be able to fire off Take Vengeance this turn and ensure I hit a land drop so that I can salvage or Take Vengeance next turn, that sort of thing. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. It's a lot to deal with. I, I, I think there's a lot of things to consider here, and I don't think there's one correct line or, or an incorrect line, you know? I mean, I guess not casting anything. That's an incorrect line, but you know what I mean. Right. I, I think the two best lines that stick out to me are the Take Vengeance, Supreme Phantom, Hold Up, Essence Scatter, and then really you're only taking a hit for two off the Dagger Basilisk, the Dagger Back Basilisk, that is, or you take Vengeance and play Scholar of Stars, and then Scholar of Stars can trade with Dagger Back Basilisk, and then they probably won't attack with Mentor of the Meek, and it's really Scholar of Stars shuts off all their attacks and if they want to trade with daggerback basilisk and offer that trade you can do that and i think you're happy with that yeah the reason that i chose to play scholar of stars spoiler alert was what you just said it holds off a lot of their attackers slash can trade with basilisk if they want to it also gives me two draws in this turn cycle which i really want because i really want to keep hitting lands because of all the stuff in my hand i want to get to the point where i can keep holding up these counter spells against this opponent and then maybe buy back one of the counter spells with salvager but i also probably have to use my two onboard removal spells for dryad and mentor and just figuring out how to do that over these next few turns so i i did end up going scholar of stars i hit a land and then i cast take vengeance and my question for you is which of these two am i supposed to take vengeance i think you're supposed to take vengeance and mentor the meek i think it's a higher priority threat because it always draws a card when they cast a creature with power two or less whereas dryad green seeker whiffs like i don't know 50 percent of the time that that's what i ended up doing scholar of stars take vengeance and then drew a land following turn fired off the Hieromancer's cage and was able to keep up cancel and then able to keep up counter magic to interact as i chose with my cancel, my scatter, and my salvager of secrets, and ended up being able to close out that game. But it was a, a scary board state there for a second. Yeah, sweet work. All right, the last, what's the play we're going to look at? What's the play number five? You've got a blue-red spells deck with some nice aggressive cards, two copies of Departed Deckhand, two copies of Avon Wind Mage, an Enigma Drake, and some nice finishers, a Lava Axe, an Inferno Hellion, and oh baby, a Banefire. It's game two of match two, and you're up a game. You've been trying to craft a win this entire game with Banefire, Lava Axe, and Thud in your hand you've got all these cheese cards and you just can't quite do it so here's the situation you've spent the whole game looking at these two big burn spells in your hand in conjunction with a couple of avon wind mages on the battlefield and just trying to figure out how to get that win 
feels like you've just been one life point or one turn away from having lethal. There's some tricky non-interactions with uh, how Thud doesn't trigger Aven Wind Mage if you want to sacrifice it that I kept coming up against here. So I'm going to describe the board state to you here. You're at 11 life and your opponent is at 15 life. They have 5 mana in play, 4 islands and a plains. And they've got a lot of creatures that have brought along multiple bodies. An Aviation Pioneer with a 1-1 Thopter a Gallant Cavalry with the 2-2 Vigilance Token. They've got a Surge Mare, a Daybreak Chaplain, and a card you're having a tough time dealing with, Gearsmith Guardian as a 5-5. On your side of the board, you've got two Avon Wind Mages. One of them has Luminous Bonds on it and a Spark Tongue Dragon. It's your turn. You've got six mana in play. You've got a Lava Axe, a Banefire, and a Thud in your hand. What's the play? Can you get them down from 15 to 0 without dying yourself? Yeah, that's tough. When I when you first showed me the screenshot, I just kept doing the math trying to figure out how I could kill them. And I did that several times. I was thinking, okay, like Lava Axe, then Banefire, we attack with some Flyers. And I just did not realize that we were very close to dead also. Like your opponent's mm. side of the board is gigantic here. So you're at 11 life. You're staring down a 1-2, a 2-2, a 5-5, a Surge Mare that can become a 4-1 if unblocked, a 1-3 lifelink, a Flyer, and a 2-2 Vigilance. Like your opponent is wide and they've got the big boy in Gearsmith Guardian that's tough for you to deal with. So if you just go for an attack here and try to fire off like a Banefire at their face or a Lava Axe at their face, hoping to get lethal the following turn, whichever one of those you didn't cast, you die on the crackback if you don't impact the board if you attack with one of your creatures. Mm -hmm. So if you attack with either one of your creatures and your opponent cracks you back with everything, you have to block your Smith Guardian as the biggest creature. And then the total of all the other damage... One, two, four, one, one, two adds up to exaxes for you, 11. So I think attacking here is out of the question unless you remove one of your opponent's creatures. You're also in a situation where you're dead to any removal spell from your opponent unless you impact their side of the board. Well, except Dwindle because Dwindle's not a removal spell. <laughs> Savage, got Dwindle. Even episode 59 just taken down Dwindle. Get wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you have to, well, you could thud a creature here from your opponent but then you have to like so you're sacking your wind mage to kill like a 2-2 that still doesn't take care of gearsmith guardians so you're taking some damage from gearsmith guardian i think you just have to give up on the idea that you're winning the game in the next two turns you're so close like you thud the thopter that grows your Avon Wind Mage, so now you have six power attacking. You lava axe them, you bring them down to ten. Now you have seven power attacking. Like I just kept feeling like I'm I'm missing this somewhere. I could be maybe if I do this or or ooh I could attack first and then if they don't block with the Thopter, like why would they? Maybe they don't chump. Then maybe I can get it. Like I just kept going through my head and I had spent so many turns with Banefire lava axe in my hand that I kept going. All right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be able to do it. Now. No, I can't quite do it this turn. I can do it next turn. No, no okay wait like it was really tough yeah i i think you just have to admit to yourself i am not the aggressor here like i think looking at this board state you are behind and i think you have to suck it up and you have to fire off banefire on gearsmith guardian and once you do that you're largely stable because spark tongue dragon either blocks every single thing on their side of the battlefield now they're a little wide so who knows maybe they could make an attack or you're in big trouble if they play an angel of the dawn or something but i think you know 
Sparktown Dragon would trade with a Surge Mare. I think there's a scenario where your opponent still swings all, even if you kill the Gearsmith Guardian. So I think my my play would be, I think, to Banefire, Gearsmith Guardian, and no attacks. Yeah, I think the play I made, I'm now forgetting. I, I definitely ended up on the Banefire, Gearsmith Guardian play. And then I think I ended up attacking with Wind Mage. Because if I don't die the following turn, then I do win. Like Lava Axe plus Thud plus attacking with Sparktown Dragon will win me the game. So I, I kept feeling that like I needed to reduce their life total. Oh, I remember they played a Dwarven Priest. And Ooh. so then they gained a bunch of life and we had to like claw our way back. We kept like, oh, maybe we have this. I did end up winning this game, but it was the like grindiest slugfest. And it was so tough to get out of the mentality of like using these spells to go to my opponent's face rather than taking out one of their creatures. I think I think it's very tough to realize, especially because Lava Axe says, like, you're the aggressor, right? When you have a Lava Axe in your hand. <laughs> right. And it feels like you're holding this wild card that only you know about. You know the identity of this wild card and how it's going to impact the game. And your opponent doesn't know that they're, they started the game at 15 life, you know? I think that, that makes that card, especially in the blue-red deck, and I guess probably also in, in a red-white aggressive deck, so powerful. And so much so that you want to craft your game plan around it yeah makes sense to me all right i think that's a good place to wrap up am i allowed to stop playing m19 yet no not at all we got two more months this baby oh baby (laughs) (laughs) there'll be other stuff going on there'll be cube i'm sure there'll be flashback drafts We'll, we'll find some things to talk about we got some sweet episodes in the wings lined up that we do thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give that a listen our m19 treasure hunt is still underway someone's gotta get that or ancestral recall unlocked complete five of the achievements to be entered in a giveaway for a draft set of the current format and of course each of those achievements that is unlocked is an hour towards a stream that ben and i will do together for your viewing pleasure make sure to send those screenshots over to us on twitter or to our email address yeah if you want to submit those screenshots tweet them at lords of limited and hashtag with m19 treasure hunt or if you're not on twitter get on twitter but if you don't want to do that email us screenshots at lords of limited at gmail.com if you want to check us out on twitter and twitch i am at lord tupperware and at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is at mr metronome or at twitch.tv slash mr metronome i also have an article series over at card spheres a blog so check that out we've got a couple what's the play scenarios over there if you're looking for more of these irl magic puzzles if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later If you're listening to the podcast while you're driving, just feel free to like take out your phone and <laughs> oh God, don't do that. Look at the images. Just, I mean, just glance at it for a little bit just so you know what we're talking about. Pull over, <laughs> of course. No, okay. Anyway.